1: Is up everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Balls. Sometimes you want to do a podcast where not only does your guest sound a lot better than you, but you don't have to do all that much preparation because you feel like you know the person that you're interviewing even though you've never met in the flesh. I, like many of you, got to know this person as the blue jacket guy who stood up to the convoy protesters that were literally right outside his home for weeks on end, driving him fucking mad. (laughs) At least that's the story I think is true. Um, But he's also the co-host of the True North Eager Beaver podcast, and his name is Paul Atkinson. Paul, oh, how you doing, buddy?
2: Hey, brother. I'm doing great. How about yourself?
1: Oh, I'm doing okay as well. You have, like, the greatest boy. <laughs> You're like the Wolfman from The Hilarious House of Frankenstein. Do you remember that show?
2: Hey, it's the Wolfman. Let's go back in time, my brothers.
1: That's right. Oh, my God. Dude, I have so many content ideas for you now.
2: <laughs> Amazing. Let's go crazy. Yeah. How are things? Um, things are things are spectacularly good for me right now. Um, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, like busy, super busy with the you know my my day gig, and uh, we're we're doing uh, three days a week. We're doing a morning show now Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Friday from seven till seven thirty, quarter to eight ish until I have to rush to the office. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, no, I, things I, are great.
1: I noticed that, and what I actually really noticed was the amount of people that were watching live. I noticed that, and I was just like, I think you've tapped into to something. Not only are you guys good content, but oh, thank that- you that morning time hour, that seven to eight hour, like I was doing my podcast at one o'clock and you know, it was doing okay. When I moved it to 7. PM. Oh my God. It's like, a, you yeah, know, you let everything out. So it's, it's interesting. Cause it, everyone is active either between six 30 and eight 30 or after five o'clock. If you do your show before that, you know, um you still might have a great show but like you're not taking advantage of the audience that you could have but yeah you guys are killing it
2: i I, i'm I'm thanks man Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, it's like people uh, really like to be a part of the interactive aspect of it. So for me, I I thought, hey, you know what, let's let's do an early morning. And and actually, it was Douglas's idea. Initially, he wanted to do a daily thing. And I'm like, well, daily might be difficult, but let's see what we can do. So a couple of weeks ago, I said, let's try this. Let's see how it goes and, and see what happens. And I think it's because so many of us are up at that hour getting ready to go to work, whatever the case may be, you get our life on the road, and there's that little window where uh, we're tired of the um, broadcast uh, pablum, where everything is hunky-dory. I mean, I'm going to drop the F-bomb when I'm mad, and we're going to give you the straight goods. We're always going to be realistic, factual, and if we fuck up the facts, I'm going to apologize and say we got it wrong. So I don't know. I think that I think yeah. that gives us a little bit of a difference. Maybe that's important. The
1: the the, I think the, so. the 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 recognition of a mistake is important. Also, if you get mad, I'm sure during this podcast, I'm sure it'll be my fault. I have a unique gift
2: <laughs> for pissing people off.
1: <laughs> you know, even when I'm not trying, right? I think what <laughs> I think what happens. I think what happens is that, and it's 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 my fault in a way because. Mm-hmm if you're a person who spent years cultivating a really horrible reputation, right. When you're, when you're kind of growing out of that, or when you feel like you've grown out of that, I probably, I'll have some, you know, evolving to do until the day that I die, because, you know, I think that's what we're here for to try to get better every day. Um, But today, and I'm not going to dwell on it and I'm not going to say who it is or anything like that, but, but there was a disagreement (laughs) that I had with somebody that I actually wouldn't even call a disagreement it was just, a, I thought it was just a discussion and it, it had to do with a sensitive topic and everything like that. And I don't really want to like, I, I don't want to put anyone on blast. So I'm not going to, but okay. I thought about it after I was blocked by this person who I consider to be a friend, a friend. <laughs> it happens to be a lot. Friends block me. I don't know. <laughs> um, and, and I reviewed the, the, the tweet exchange and everything I, for the life of me. I'm just like. I don't know what I did. Right? And and I am one of these people now who's like I feel like I'm living off of the the rep that I've cultivated. And even though mm-hmm. my con, my contextual intention is solid or at least not negative. It uh, could be um benign, right? Uh, but but it was, you know, right. I still have to watch out. I still have to like figure out a way to filter myself so that the other people don't gravitate to the old James and like, oh, here he goes again and everything. When I'm really just like saying, hey, I'm I, I disagree with this particular point of view, but hey, like, you know, maybe I should seek your advice because you, you don't strike me as a guy who pisses a lot of people off you know
2: well I, I i try and be as understanding as possible with the exception of nazis fuck them punch them in the face uh i'm gonna say that till the day i die they do not get a pass they do not get any tolerance from me because the paradox of tolerance is if you let the intolerant if you tolerate the intolerant then you're going to lose all respect See, we could society
1: discuss that we could discuss that because i would say to you okay, let's can we do can we just do an experiment knowing sure. going in that we're not going to get mad at
2: each other Okay. Yeah, no problem. Let's do it.
1: I, I would probably if we if it was ever like up for discussion, I'd be like, okay, well, how do you define a Nazi?
2: Well, that's that's usually they self-identify as one, I would mm-hmm. think, um, and and we're not going to go with the textbook uh, World War Two pre World War Two definition of what one was, National right. Socialist. That's not what a Nazi is in twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two, a Nazi is a hateful, angry person who does not tolerate uh uh, diversity in society so if you're if you're part of the alphabet mafia if you're bipoc if you if you don't look like me basically they don't want you that's a nazi because i love diversity love diversity it makes canada a, a, a much better country i personally feel now i know some people have said time and time again that multiculturalism has failed and i'm like i disagree and I say that from the standpoint of somebody who works with a very multicultural, diverse workforce, number one. Number two, they're all 30 years younger than me. <laughs> and number three, they do the work that guys like me most often are not willing to do. Guys who look like me are not willing to do. And I mean, without immigration. No sense, the
1: guys that look like us, often they're Nazis.
2: Well, you're right. Yes. I'm not offended by that because it's true. It's like, it's true. But uh, I find that uh, the people who come to this country and get the opportunities that they wouldn't have wherever they were from come here and make this a better nation. And without immigration, this country would die. And and this is not my opinion. This is from Stats Canada Facts. Mm -hmm. There are not enough... Without getting into the complexities, I'm not talking, I'm not going to get into the Roe v. Wade stuff because I fully support a woman's right to make that choice. But quite frankly, there's just not enough people having babies. Without immigration, this country would die. Now, again, somebody's going to take that out of context and say you're a pro. No, 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 I'm pro-choice. 100% all the way, no questions asked, pro-choice. A woman's has 100% bodily autonomy to make a choice about whether or not she wants to carry... A child to term and that's that's where I, I stop i don't say anything after that because well i'm 54 years old so i'm not about to impregnate anybody because <laughs> really? uh, no i can <laughs> yeah. i can You're i'm not, not going there. to yeah. yeah i don't want to be a father at my age come on let's be let's let, let's not be ridiculous here right
1: yeah i went dude i was a uh, i was 40 when we had our second so you know i was you know that's not quite 54 but it's still you know it it felt old i feel old now
2: yeah well yeah that's the thing it's like and and you want to do all the things with your children that you know you may you may or may not have had as a child i don't i don't know what your your upbringing was like but uh, i uh i came from the whole other show yeah 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 I, i did watch an episode with you and ashley and i went oh okay so we'll I don't want to go there because that's about you, and, and and I don't want to delve into to to your personal. You can, you can ask me whatever trauma. you want. I'm an
1: open book, but please continue with your story. Yeah.
2: Well, I know I come from the basic nuclear family. Uh, uh, my dad was in the military. He worked. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I have myself and two younger sisters, three kids. The whole nuclear family, if you will. My parents are still married. They still love one another. They don't know how to be apart from one another. I mean, they that's honestly are so nice. <laughs> no, well really, maybe like, maybe
1: people that I don't know. Parents, I'm not saying there isn't nice people with divorced parents but people oh. who were in households without divorce and not only without divorce but like you said that that had parents that loved and respected each other those are the people that grow up to be great people and I think you're you're probably an example of that no really cuz you're 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 clearly a nice person and and that's all I'm saying I, I, you know like I know. and and you 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 were given the tools at a young age by having their example imprinted on you so you could grow up and be a person who is inclusive, who believes in diversity, who wants to be nice to people except for Nazis, which is totally understandable, you know? And I, and I like that. I respect that. I, I, I used to envy it. And now, you know, it's funny when you get into a certain space in life where you're just like, you know what, just like that was the hand I was dealt. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of shitty cards, but the game progressed and i kind of like my hand now.
2: Well, you know, i mean you've got you've got the nuclear family, right?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Two kids and we're separated but still cohabitating. So we're co-parenting right now.
2: Okay, but that that's that's the 21st century version of the nuclear family
1: minus all the imprinting of respect and love.
2: Yeah. But you still you still have respect for one another if you're able to share share a dwelling and you uh, I'm going to guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that both of you really want your children to not have the same sort of childhood that you had. You want them to have uh, all of the things that you wanted as a child. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. But I, I think most people t- tend to, to to gravitate towards, I want them to have what I didn't have. And it's not material things. You're totally right. You're
1: totally it's, right. It, it's, it, 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 she was brought up in a strict home. I was brought up in a, where's James been for the last two weeks? It's his 12th birthday coming up. What's going on? Like like that, that it was more like right. that. But I'm the strict one, you know? Like yeah, I- You've I already not, run.
2: You've done the running wild, right?
1: I've done the running wild. I know what I'm missing. I, I know that the the uh, the long-term problems that I had with authority, with discipline, um with all that kind of stuff is a direct result of me not having any uh definable parenting since I was 12 you know Uh,
2: and that's not the first time I've heard that either Mm. it's not I've heard that from a lot of guys I grew up with uh guys I I, I've known throughout my life who's same sort of thing and and they in turn have turned around to become amazing parents because they wanted to give the children the guidance they never had, and and it's like they're strict, and then there's there's the um, uh, the iron fist strict, and you got to find the balance between the two, right?
1: Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I'm not iron fist. I'm I'm uh, parents who I think are. It's tough. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm uh, I've been de- I've been described as a helicopter parent before but I'm really not a helicopter parent. Like I, I don't like, oh, don't fall. And when they right. fell, I didn't run to get them. You know, I just waited for them to get up. Like, so I'm not like that kind of thing. And sometimes it's actually paid off for me. My son was one and a half and we were at a climbing park in Toronto and I still live there. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he climbed up to this thing and it was, I don't know, seven feet off, eh, maybe eight feet off the ground.
2: It's, it's pretty and high for a one year old, right? Pretty
1: high for a one and a half year old. All these moms, that I like would joke around with every day when because I was a stay-at-home dad for a year. They would all out. be sitting on the benches, and their their one and a half-year-olds were running around this climber. And I was always kind of within four or five feet of my son. And he wasn't looking uh, and, and getting nervous that I was there and all that stuff because I would joke with him a little bit or whatever. But he did climb up to that eight and a half foot thing and then fall backwards, mm-hmm. but he fell into my arms instead of onto mm-hmm. the playground. And I was like, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I am happy that I am a helicopter parent if it results in me not watching my son fall from eight feet,
2: right? So, Absolutely. What was it my sister said the other day? She said something that I went, yeah, yeah. She says she has uh, three sons uh, and uh, 14, uh, 11, and no, 14... 14, 12, and 9, or 11. Anyway, sorry, I got it wrong. I apologize. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. See? It's okay. Man. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Make mistakes, eh? Um, and, and she said the thing is, you know, when, when you're raising boys, you spend more time trying to keep them alive yeah. than anything else. Because, you know, she says, girls, you're always going to worry about bad things happening to them, which is because, you know, we live in a pretty messed up world. But with boys, you're always worried about them doing something that will kill them or hurt yeah. them or harm them and i mean and all three of them are hockey players and and, and the youngest or the so the oldest one uh looks so much like me when i was his age it's disturbing except except i'm nephew? six foot yeah my nephew my oldest nephew yeah i'm six foot tall he's six two and he's i think 15 he's 15 so yeah. he's not even hit his full growth spurt yet and i mean back when i was that age i had a giant afro and so does he.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: That is actually funny because um, I noticed that with my, my daughter is this spitting image of my sister. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and her daughter as well. Like I took a, uh, she sent me a picture of, um, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But she sent me a picture of her daughter when her daughter was three beside a picture of my daughter when my daughter was three. I showed it to my daughter and she's like, where was I there? And she pointed yeah. to, my, to my niece. And so it's, it's interesting. The nephew-niece, the way that they can often look, almost identical to their uh, uncle or aunt. Oh, yeah, it's
2: spooky. It's spooky. Yeah. There's a picture of my sister once uh, years ago. This is uh, 25 years ago. Uh, she held up a picture of my mother and father on their wedding day, and she stood beside me, and we held it in front of us. And people like, Jesus right it's like i i am not only do i look exactly like my father but our mannerisms are our, our, our vocal tone the way we move our like it's all the same and i you know i'd be out with my sister somewhere and we're having drinks and having dinner and, and they're like oh my god you're so much like dad you're so much and i didn't see it i didn't see it i didn't see it and then eventually we're at a family get together and I looked over at my father and I went, Oh, I get it now. I see it. I'm we're exactly alike. Yeah. In so many, many ways. Now his older brother, who was quite a bit older than him when, when they were both, you know, uh, uh, in their, in their, my dad's 80, he did 80, sorry, 81. He just turned 81. And when his older brother was, I think he was 12 or 15 years older. might've been 10. I can't remember exactly, but, uh, The family dog used to get them confused. I kid you not. The dog would run up to my uncle and go, oh, wait a minute. Um, And then go to my dad and then just sit there and go, what the hell is... That's how much they look lot.
1: That's a subpar dog,
2: really. No, no, this dog was super smart. (laughs) A super smart miniature poodle. And you could just say, go wake up so-and-so. And they would go up to the person's room and go and get them. Like She was crazy smart, but anybody like people would walk into a room and think they were twin brothers and there was like 10 or 12 years i can't remember a lot of years between them
1: yeah that that no and i i totally get that too my my favorite relative was my grandfather my grandfather used to be he was a tailor italian man um uh brought up born and brought up in old montreal and he used to make suits for the Mm Rosito
2: crime family Well, that's just par for the course right
1: right right and and so i'd sit you know I, i'd be sitting uh, on his uh what do you call it the counter or whatever at the cash or whatever and he'd be like measuring gangsters and stuff and they'd <laughs> put like money in my pocket and but they buy him a cadillac um once a year um for like three years until my grandmother was like you don't know what they want for it so they so he's, he yeah. asked them to please stop but um but no he had a cousin that looked so much like him that when i was like five years old, um, I sat down on the couch at my auntie Marie's house in Montreal and, and I just snuggled up to my Pappy and I, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I was looking up and from that angle, I'm like, it's not Pappy <laughs> <But> from every <laughs> other angle. It was Pappy. And then was were laughing and stuff and he didn't want to move because he didn't want to wake me up, but I thought it was my grandfather. So
2: it's crazy how that works, right? Like the, the family bloodlines, you don't know. There's so much we know that we don't know. Yeah. About how it all boils down, how it all works, and and I mean, look, I'm I I don't know much about anything, uh, but I I try and observe as much as I can, and I do my best. I sincerely do my best to try and be a good person every day. Some days I fail, and on the, on the days that I fail, that's when I'm like, I unplug myself from everything. I stay home. I try and meditate. I listen to jazz. I do whatever I can to get my headspace back because. I've said this before on a couple of podcasts. Um, you know the old Marilyn Monroe statement, whether or not she ever said it, I don't know. It's like if you don't if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. And I'm like, fuck you, bitch. Sorry if that offends anybody, but really. See, if I said that, people
1: would be like he's so sexist he, he's a fucking misogynist i hate that guy james oh my god but you say it and people are like i know what he meant i know what he meant guys it's
2: okay. well what i mean by that is it's like why why should i give anybody my worst and expect them to accept it no no i only want to give my best and the days when i know i'm going to be bad and we're all going to have this i'm just going to remove myself from the situation so that i don't do anything harmful to anybody You know, we we only get one kick at the can. Look, I've been to 41 funerals in the last 10 years. 41. Wow. I'm 54 years old. I'm still a relatively young man-ish. Like, I'm still, you know, I've got at least 11 years in the workforce before they try and put me out to pasture. I mean, look, I'm on the Freedom 95 program, so I'm working till I I slide into the grave, but... (laughs) You know what?
1: I I think... um... I think you're right, and that's why I I I always said I didn't want to become a sitcom husband mm-hmm. because sitcom husbands like what are they? They um their wives treat them like shit. Yeah. Um, they're always really stupid and thoughtless. And who wants to be that? And a lot of marriages Nobody. end up like that because um you know and and it's not. I mean, I only know my experience with women, so I'm, maybe some men are like this too. I have no idea. But you know, when one person is just decided, you know what? I'm just going to be grumpy for years and you're just going to have to deal with it and smile politely.
2: Yeah. I can't no. do that. It's no way to live. Just, yeah. It's no way to live, man. Life is so short and so very fragile. Like I said, 41 funerals in 10 years, family, a lot of friends, uh, coworkers, like literally at most have been to cancer, a couple to old age, uh, more than I care to mention about, uh, uh how do you say it without harming people? Uh, uh, Taking their own life? Yeah, so unalive themselves, I guess, is the new thing that, that Gen okay. Z says. And, you know, well, I don't want to say the S word because it, it can trigger people, and it, you know. Uh, see, that's probably
1: where we're a little bit different. Um, I, I and I wouldn't, because I I would never even think that that the, that word would would trigger people. And then if someone said that it would, I'd be like, well, what do we, we have to say? How many words are like that? You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, how many words can we say? So we just, there, there's evidence now that you are nicer than me. Well, we'll probably have a few of those going on throughout the podcast. <laughs> I don't know
2: about that. I don't know about that. I try to be a good person. Some days are difficult. Sometimes I will lose my shit on Twitter and say things I, that I don't, I don't regret saying it. I don't regret saying them. You know, it's I, I go in with a clear mind, and if somebody has done something terrible or said or done something that I completely disagree with, and we have the back and forth, and eventually I will say, um, bring this to the DM or something. No, it, well, n- well, no, no, it's like they start this, they start to go off about well, you're, oh, you're the DJ, you're the loser, you're the podcast, you're this. I'm like, go ahead and pick on me. You don't even know what I do for a day job. This is something I do because I love it. I love to do this, and I, th- I think I'm okay at it. But it's not how I earn my living, and I'm not telling people how I earn my living. That's my business. But it is related to audiovisual stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But occasionally, I will t- tell is it somebody. Phone sex? Because you have no. a great voice. <laughs> Thank you, but no, it's not phone sex. But occasionally, I will tell somebody to fillet me in a very vulgar manner and hope that they choke on it. Because you know, when you're when you're you know, you can you can say that, right? <laughs> I never thought I'd hear really you say that. <laughs>
1: um the social media stuff, I I I haven't been bothered by what a stranger has said to me on social media since, oh, before, I'm really the, bothered. since before the pandemic. I get bothered when it's people that I know mm. or that I'm friends with or that I'm acquaintances with. Those people when they treat something that I said as a um as a launch pad to like to attack, I'm like, that's when I get it. Like, I have to know them to, to get right, up, to get upset. Right, if right. I don't know someone and they call me a loser or something, I'm like Means man. nothing. Means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: I, I only really retaliate on people when they are being harmful to others. And that's when I'll get angry with them. Like if they're saying, if they're spewing misinformation, if they're saying things that are harmful to other human beings, that's when I engage. If if you know it's like one of the things that, that, that we strive to do on the True North Eager Beaver podcast is, is be factual, honest, truthful, and, and, and dispel the myths and disinformation that so many politicians are able to say today and never be held to account for it. And I'm kind of like, we, we cannot allow this to occur. It is a disservice to Canadian citizens if I, as a cis, het, Six foot tall, one hundred and eighty five pounds, physically fit, white male. Let this go. I am in a unique place of privilege, and it is my responsibility to make sure that this harm is not held upon or or or, or, or spewed upon others. It, it is my duty as 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 a Canadian to make sure that people get the truth because misinformation is harmful and, it, and if somebody goes well you don't know about that i'm mean, going january 6th there, there's there's like congressional hearings over that and people get i'm looking the convoy let's how much do you want to get into that right? we could get into that because i think you um you have a unique perspective because of where
1: you live and i it's funny you're you're one of the few people that has given me pause when i say things like say what you will about the convoy it just like okay let me let me preamble this for a second yeah. Um, the way that the Canadian media covered the Black Lives Matter protests in the states versus how they covered the convoy protest was one of the most bizarre examples of inconsistent um, journalistic methods and ethics I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm not—I am not praising the. Con- I look at the convoy not as a pro or con. I just look mm-hmm. at it and I try right, to examine it enough. and everything like that. So there's there's a few things. One is that the way the media, the, me, the you could still see the glow from the arson and, and the looting and everything like that in the background. And they're like, it was largely peaceful. you know. And then those same reporters would be covering the Ottawa protests and be like, this is just fucking vile. And I'm just like, okay, hold on. Let's just take a time out here for a second. I think what's really happening is that you agree, especially after George Floyd, because we all saw that man get murdered by a cop. Yes, right? and that's so what heard, happened. That's exactly what happened. So I think that how we feel about why people are protesting largely dictates how we feel about the methods in which they choose to protest. Mm -hmm. And that's just how, and I think people need to start being honest about that. And and present company excluded, I'm just speaking really about the media right now. I, I think that we need to just be able to say, you know what? It may look like a double standard, but a black man being murdered by a cop is just the rerun that we don't fucking need. And people are angry and rightfully so doesn't mean you condone the looting doesn't mean you condone the arson doesn't mean you condone any of the violence but that's really your starting point point. and then when you go when you move to the convoy the same media and and a lot of people are like these are privileged white people they're going to the city they're literally taking it over they're fucking sitting in hot tubs because they have the privilege that allows them to sit in a hot tub at a protest they All are true honking. yeah they're honking their horns or whatever these fucking vile disgusting racist blah, blah, blah. and all of a sudden I'm just sitting there like I, if they were behaving the same way those Black Lives Matters uh, protesters were behaving can you even imagine what the coverage would have been like it would have been like these are Nazis setting fire to our nation's capital what the fuck and so I don't know how to climb inside that nuance and and sort of spread it around so that people understand that just because I don't agree with the convoy protester doesn't mean I will ever call it a violent protest. Mm-hmm. It was psychologically harmful, as you have stated many times for a lot of people. I understand that. I can't identify with it because I wasn't there, but you said it, and I know you're a nice person, I know you're honest, so I believe you. You know, but there are um, you know. When when that arson um story happened for a mm. couple of days and it turned out they were just they were self-avowed communists. That's just what they said. I didn't see the mea Culpa from the media in the way that Paul Atkinson just told me th- that he issues apologies on his show when he gets it wrong, which I think is the right call.
2: It is the right and, call, I think. And it it, has to and be. it
1: and it fucking fuels those people.
2: Yes, it does. When the media
1: does. doesn't do any mea culpa.
2: Agreed, completely. I mean, well, you, you know, has you, you're, you're, uh, you've had her on the show a few times. She's been on Dean's show at The Real Andy Lee who has gone off about, well, that wasn't what... I'm like, okay, okay but she, she can't seem to keep her story or her facts straight, but that's another story altogether. It's got nothing to do with what you and I are discussing right now. Yes, uh, there was no mea culpa from the media on that. Were those people part of the convoy? no. No, they were not. Uh, Where was the media that said, well, they weren't actually part of the convoy. They were just people who glommed onto it and agreed. They should have come clean and said, hey, we fucked up. It happens. They didn't. Now, let's let's backtrack a little bit. A lot of the BLM uh, protests and riots, uh, if you do some investigating, you'll discover that a lot of that... uh, um, The fires that were set, a lot of the cities that were burned, and blah, 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 blah. That had nothing to do with the BLM people that were actually protesting the murder of George Floyd. And much of it has been proven since then that it was done by things like uh, uh, organizations like Patriot Front and and so on and so forth. I I can't name them all off because I don't have the documentation in front of me. But there's video footage. You know, just, there is video sound, footage that, of that
1: sounds a lot like and i'm not saying it is but it's to some people that would sound a lot like the um uh the right-wing protesters uh in january 6th that says antifa was really the ones who were it, starting to like it has no that, argument you know feel it to does
2: it. it no argument no argument agreed i i remember reading about it and i went huh okay i remember when it was happening i was watching it and i was thinking this is not good look protest the hell out of the murder of George Floyd. We watched the man get murdered live. We saw it in real time. And that was horrible and tragic and terrible. And it should never happen because that is not policing. That was murder. And the guy who murdered him is now in prison as well as he should be. But protest it. Just don't burn cities down because that doesn't advance your cause. Now, the thing is Antifa is not an actual movement. It's an ideology. BLM is a movement. And the people who work within BLM are kind of like trying to dis- distance themselves from that because they're like, no, the, "We, th- this was not us. We didn't do this. Mm-hmm. And I have read a fair bit about it, about how it was not them. Some of it was a lot of uh, I think what was it in in uh, Minneapolis? Somebody set fire to a Target store. It turned out it was an off-duty police officer.
1: Wow, was he? But, yeah, but but the race of that officer would have to come into. He was white. Okay, listen. I know that a lot of bad shit happens. I know <laughs> that there are a lot of provocateurs that like to um, embed themselves into people that uh are uh, their ideological opposites, and that happens all the time. Oh yeah, I I, I think um. I think that we are in danger in our society of, um, of dismissing people who shouldn't be dismissed mm-hmm. um, because we have an idea of what their beliefs might be. And that doesn't include racism. Uh, that doesn't include misogyny and that kind of stuff. I am not right. giving them a pass. Nope. Um, but for example, when, uh, in 2020, when, um, the black lives matter pro- uh, protests were happening in the States, I think I tweeted something like, um, I support the the the. I obviously support. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like I obviously support the concept that Black Lives Matter. I understand why you shouldn't say White Lives Matter. These are all very obvious concepts. Right. Black lives right now are in danger. We need to be, find a way to protect them. All that kind of stuff. But the organization, not so much. I'm not going to endorse an organization like that because they're first of all they're a political organization. Um, and and what happens is, and 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 moderate right wingers hate this and and i'm talking about the ones that are just sensible conservatives i'm not talking about racists i'm not talking about misogynists right but what they hate is that the and and they are right about this that when some when there is a movement taking place and something is happening that uh sort of like sparks that movement the organization in this case black lives matter that becomes attached to the movement they become infallible you cannot criticize them at all you cannot bring up the fact that they are a stated marxist organization and that's why i could never support them because i'm not a marxist that's right. why i don't support libertarian protest yeah. movements because i'm not libertarian <laughs> hi i'm steve Yerko,
2: and i'm tara sands now available from maji media is our new podcast for kids flashback 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokémon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more.
1: I, I, it just, you know, and, and people are like, well, why do you have to focus on that? I I, I, it's it's not about the organization. By the way, a few of them have been, like, charged with, like, larceny and fraud because they bought gigantic mansions and stuff. Yeah, like, I saw it, that. It, yeah, and, and so, but the point is that if you circle back to 2020, why would, why are we, maybe I'll just ask you this question. Why do you think we are in a place now where the, side that you're on must never ever be criticized they have to be infallible while the side that you're against always has to be evil and that's interchangeable with the left and right i'm not equalizing them i'm not saying that they're exactly the same or anything but they have flaws in their own way and this all or nothing game that we have where it's like well the right obviously worse that doesn't mean that you get to absolve all the shit on the
2: left Right. No. It, it, well, and here's the thing: like a great number of my friends, like, it, like ordinarily, I'm I'm like I'm at Scotch and Cigar Night right now, sitting on my buddy's porch. Ordinarily, this is a Wednesday night. We have a Scotch and Cigar Club, and I am the youngest guy by about ten, twelve years. So the guys are in their sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. These are old white men, and most of them are are staunchly, admittedly, progressive, conservative. Progressive is the key word because they've always felt uh, let's give people a hand up, right? Matter of fact, one of the most conservative guys in the crew a few weeks ago says, we got to do something about this homeless problem. Maybe we build barracks with everybody gets a private room or something. He says, we can't let people die in the streets. These are progressive conservatives. These are not Skippy the Wonder Pigeon conservatives where they're like, I'm going to make you the freest, we're going to make Canada, Canada the freest country in the world. I'm like, we're... We're tied, we're number two after Sweden, Finland, and Norway. Oh, oh sorry, no, uh, Finland falls below us. It's it's Norway, Sweden, Denmark are the number, th- yeah. they're all at 100% on the Freedom Index, and we're at 98. So how much freer can we be? If we're going to be free like the Scandinavian countries, I'm all in, man, because they've got a strong social safety net. They, they have a healthcare system that actually is functioning and not being privatized by the second, by whatever party is in power in the region you live in, Ontario. I could go on about Doug Ford and how much of a piece of shit that fucking prick is. I agree with you there.
1: He had good hash back in the day. That's I'm like told. That's the most endearing quality about our premier is that he once sold great hash.
2: Well, and go figure the first year that cannabis is legalized and he's the premier, and the province of Ontario lost $40 million selling weed. And who's running the show? A former hash dealer. Yeah.
1: I, fuck, okay. Right. There's a lot about that, that. So weed legalization is interesting, actually, because um, in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, I, I inked a contract with the federal liberal government. Alfred Apps was the outgoing president. My job was to lobby delegates uh, by teaming up with marijuana advocacy groups and lobby delegates who were 30% yes and 70% no on legalization and have that number flip by the time the convention came in January 2012. And we did it. Mm-hmm. So we, we were, I was happy about it. Justin Trudeau was one of three liberals there uh, who I interviewed about marijuana, who was like leaning towards no mm. at the time. He wasn't leader yet um you know so he i mean and he flopped in the right direction eventually but i think um the 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 process of legalization what i didn't like about it was the like provinces were encouraged to get government to sell it Mm -hmm. and i thought that that was the massive mistake that they made and the conservatives whether they like to admit or not but somebody uh the uh a friend of mine who's who's has since passed away he died tragically in a motorcycle accident in thailand huh, but he was patrick brown's lawyer and he would leak caucus do- documents to me when patrick brown was <laughs> the uh leader of the opposition and yeah. he would like show me caucus minutes of the conservatives who were like well what are we going to do about the seniors who are religious they, they're not going to want the government us to sell marijuana so they were going to make it private and then they found out after they did some surveying that they would rather the government control it mm-hmm. than allow the free market to have it because that would be morally repugnant.
2: Well, if it's done by the government, it's going to be, uh, inefficient,
1: incompetent, <laughs> moldy.
2: Well, moldy is the, is the thing that is different because they're they're not profit motivated. They're, they're product motivated and the difference being, and I, I don't partake. I can't, I'm allergic to it. It'll kill me. It'll make me very sick. I'll die. I don't want to do that. I, I still have a lot of living to do, despite the fact that, you know, uh, throughout my, my lifetime, several times with bouts of depression where I've thought about, well, could I, well, no, it'll hurt other people. So I won't. It's part of the depression. It's, it's what happens. And I, and I have the inner conversation with myself, that's, which is why I'm still here. And, and what, that's why I do the whole ASMR thing. It's like to talk about anxiety and depression. But when it comes to the government running uh, something like that, it, yes, it'll be inefficient, but it's not profit-motivated because there's no shareholders for it. So in the end, they'll get their tax grab. The taxpayers is, is the shareholder, right? But well. it will be strictly um, regulated and enforced and although that all now all that being said i i thought the wind government was going about it the wrong way and again i'm not a person who enjoys the product but i thought they're gonna they're gonna like we're gonna have 12 stores in ontario 12 stores for 14 million people you are smoking something because you got to be high if you think that could even they're going to be lineups for three weeks long that's
1: ridiculous i live within 10 miles of 15 dispensaries what's a mile i'm sorry uh 26 <laughs> kilometers
2: or something i don't
1: know 20 kilometers or something like that of, of like 15 or 16 dispensaries they're all on reserves mm-hmm. none mm-hmm. of them are government run no i get my shrooms there you know mm-hmm. and it is a perfect sort of case study of what it would have been like if the government would have just grandfathered in the dispensaries that already existed gave them a pass on fucking like all the bullshit and just said, look, you broke the law yesterday, but it's Tuesday. Now we passed this law. You're in, you know?
2: Well, and I I thought that would have been a better plan too, to be honest with you. And and again, I still wanted to see some government uh, mm, involvement for quality control of product. Right. I mean, there's a reason we have, like, if I go to the store and I buy some sliced deli meat and I make a sandwich and I don't die from listeria tomorrow, it's because we've had government controls in, in meat packing plants that make sure that the product that gets released is not poison. It's why I can go to the liquor store and buy a beer or, you know, a bottle of wine and not worry about it being uh, poison. It's because we have government involvement to a degree. Uh, now, what I like to see... Um, beer for sale in the corner store? Hell yes, I would. But you know what? I've always thought if we're going to do that, let's do it in a different way than other provinces have. Quebec, it's two minutes from where I live. Like, literally, I can get in my car. I can, well, I can be across the bridge in eight minutes and I can buy beer at any corner store seven days a week till 11 p.m. Cool. There's a corner store 100 meters from my front door. I'd love to be able to buy beer there. But here's what we should do if we're going to sell beer in Ontario. Local, Craft beer in corner stores. Locally produced Ontario yeah. beer and corner stores. Let the big guys fight it out at the beer store and the liquor store and craft beer in corner stores.
1: They already kind of do that with the whole wine rack thing.
2: Yeah, well it's right. Yeah. And it works well. Yeah. Those are Ontario wines. I think it's now, like percent
1: by... is from other places, and the rest yeah. of it is from Ontario.
2: And it works well. And they're open late. Like, mm-hmm. till 11 p.m., I think, seven nights a week, if memory serves. There's one here on Elgin Street, a couple of blocks from where I live, the Wine Rack, and it's Canada Day. They're open till 11 p.m.
1: Yeah, why wouldn't they?
2: Like, <laughs> you, know? you know. I
1: always was confused about, it. Did you ever, do you remember walking into stores, like, in the 90s or something? And the, like, the Hasty Market near my house and where I grew up in Whitby. Well, um, it you know, it was a fairly big store, but then mm-hmm. I'd walk in and it was a holiday and they'd barricade half of it off and I'd be like, well, "What are you doing?" All oh, the government yeah. says that if you're over a certain square footage, you can't be open. So we, <laughs> we
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Let, let's look at look at let's look at what old Dougie did during the pandemic. We're going to remake restrictions here and this and that. We're going to protect everybody. Uh, Uncle Doug, you really didn't do that because you allowed only the big box stores to remain open. Yeah. Whereas the mom-and-pop shops that really could have used your help and could have actually controlled who came in and out of their stores, you, you let them die. You let them wither and die. And I see it in this city, a city of Ottawa, where the the employment rate is sky high. I think it's one of the most educated cities in the world for post-secondary education The population here. And all these little mom-and-pop shops, for want of a better term, are gone because they got no support from our provincial government because who is in his pocket or vice versa, big business. And I'm not going to name the big name stores, the big box stores, because I don't want to get sued and you don't want to get sued. And we don't want that heat. I don't
1: fucking care if I get sued. I have nothing.
2: (laughs) Hey, join the club, brother.
1: They can't Um, take my kids. Fuck you, Loblaws. (laughs)
2: Loblaws, shoppers, Walmart, all of those guys were open the whole time and they you know they I had mean, restrictions but they didn't do fuck all was it no
1: because I, I, I seem to remember that and i could be totally wrong it, it wasn't municipalities that decided which store they no open. it
2: was prov- it was the province it was That's all yeah, provincial was
1: criminal like, Agreed. like it, not only was it criminal it was scientifically stupid like, stupid it, it, we're in the middle of covid so let's make sure that everybody goes to Walmart for their groceries, instead of a few people going here and a few people going there.
2: Exactly, exactly. Like
1: how, how much COVID was spread just at Loblaws for Christ's
2: sake? You know. Well, I, w- I would guess a, sh- a shit ton. Maybe, maybe yeah. even a fuck ton, which is a lot more than a shit ton, right? Yeah, and it's, just so it's... we don't want
1: to get sued, so Loblaws, we're not saying that you killed anybody. No, we're saying that if you did kill someone, the number is between zero and like a thousand. That's all yeah. we're saying.
2: That's it. That's it. <laughs> Maybe. That's it. Yeah. Well, and then, and then you had the whole thing about how Dougie kept saying he was going to come up with the best sick paid leave in Ontario, in, the, in North America, which we still don't have. I, I, I get three paid sick days a year. That's it. So if I get COVID, the office that I'm working in, because I work for a private company and they've contracted me to a, a Crown Corp. Mm-hmm. If I get COVID, I cannot go into the office. And... Seventy percent of my job needs to be done in person on site. Period. Yeah, no ifs, ends, or tough. buts. So, and, and and the rule of that company is, you get COVID, you need to stay home for ten days. Like they're 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 like, I know the rules are different, but this is uh, we're protecting our people. And I'm like, no, I get it, I totally get it. So for me, I still wear my KN95 mask, and people give me sideways looks every now and then. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I don't care. I have not been sick in three years i've never had covid i've got four shots i'm going for my bivalent the minute i can get it because i'm allergic to everything (laughs) and as my friends will often say if somebody sneezes around paul he gets sick you know what that that was the truth for a long time it's like one day i i woke up and my elbow was all swollen i'm like oh what is that bursitis and i talked to a doctor friend she goes you got to go to er tomorrow i'm like what If you don't shit. go, I'm coming to get, uh, it turns out I had, uh, cellulitis and I don't know if you know what cellulitis is, but it's, uh, it
1: sounds like thighs that are big, but I don't that's know what
2: usually where it starts where they were shocked that it was in my elbow and you know, I'm, I'm fucking
1: lazy ass elbow.
2: Well, and I was working out seven days a week I was in the best shape of my life yeah. uh, but it, my elbow swelled up it went red and they're like we have to treat this I went to the ER and they took one look at me and immediate, I was in a bed in 15 minutes Wow! Fifteen minutes, and they had me on an IV. Uh, a couple of days later, uh, I had an IV with a pump, and then I had a pick line put in. I don't know if you know what a pick line is, I but have it's no when idea they they is. make an insertion in your bicep, a little insertion in your bicep, find a big vein, and shove a little tube all the way about this far from the entrance to your heart to pump it full of antibiotics. I was on a pump for three, uh, two months. So I had wow. a pick line for two months, wearing that twenty-four hours a day. Um, suffice to say, it was not pleasant, but if, if, uh, if I didn't do that, I would have been, it would have killed me. Cellulitis is deadly. Wow. Deadly.
1: I'm learning so much. <laughs> no idea. I thought cellulitis was cottage cheese fat on your thighs. That's what I thought. No,
2: that's was. cellulite. Cellulite.
1: It's the exact same word.
2: <laughs> cellulitis. <laughs> okay. Almost. It's very similar. And, and cellulitis normally occurs in, 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 in your legs. So when they saw it in my elbow, they, they, the, the guy looked at me and he goes, oh, this is not good. This is not good. I go, yeah, it really hurts. And it burns. So he literally draws a purple mark around it and says, I'm going to be back in 10 minutes. Comes back 10 minutes, it's grown past the purple mark. Had me on antibiotics, had me on an IV, had me get x-rays, had me get an MRI. Like, they were not screwing around. This is all pre-COVID. I don't know that with COVID being what it is, and and the cuts that good old Uncle Doug has made to our healthcare system in Ontario and how he refuses to give a raise to healthcare workers, I don't know that I would get the same treatment. And not because the people in the hospital aren't compassionate, but because they don't have the resources or the time or the personnel. And they're burned. They're burned out. They're so burned out.
1: I have a friend that currently works inside the, health, the <clears throat> Ontario Health Minister's office. Um, he's a subcontractor. Um, I I don't even understand what his job is to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest with you, but he works there. And he told me something that I found really interesting. He said that the biggest cost of healthcare is not even delivery, right? It's admin, Mm -hmm. right? In Ontario, I'm talking about. And of that admin, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's the biggest piece of the pie he says that the cost inside that those administrative costs you know what the biggest cost is maintaining privacy
2: oh yeah yeah i got of under- yeah, yeah yeah i, I can find,
1: see that i find our entire like the fear of someone knowing i have a bum knee why is why do i give a fuck about that and i'm not sure if people I'm know the this. same way
2: I'm the same way with you when it comes to that. I don't yeah.
1: give a I, shit. I, I don't understand. I don't know if people know this or not, but um, the last time I went to the doctor, I had my results in my email before my family doctor had them. I had to send it to him. Yeah. Anytime you ever go to any doctor or specialist, demand it because you they have to give it to you. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They don't want to. You want to know why? Because it costs them admin costs.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, no, it does.
1: But the long term would be more people taking ownership of things like diagnosis. When I first moved here to Killaloo, which is I'm about two hours outside of Ottawa.
2: Yeah, I know where it is.
1: Yeah. We had to drive all the way back to the city to go see our family doctor to get results for my daughter's blood work.
2: How absurd is that?
1: Four fucking hours we had to that, drive. and when we got absurd. There, yeah. And when we got there, everything was fine. I was so right. fucking pissed off. I was like... I was like, look, look, dude, like, I don't know. <laughs> four hours there, four hours back. <laughs> yeah. Can you do me a favor? The next time you have no fucking news, let fucking tell me over the phone. I'll give yeah, a yeah, and he was the one that told, told me. He was the one that told me. You Oh, you can, he's like my, because it wasn't him. It was obviously his, uh, mm-hmm. his uh, admin, admin person. But she was like, she never told me it was an option. Mm. But he was like, you can get it emailed. You guys are four hours away. Yeah, I'll email everything to you. And I'm just like. When did this happen? He's like three years ago. So this is back in 2016. So at least from 2012 or whatever, 2013, we have had the ability to never have to visit another fucking doctor's office again to get our results. Well, no one knows that
2: it's weird. Well, and there's so many things I've noticed in the last couple of years that have made life simpler. Like, uh, so I, I, I have a million skin, skin ailments. I have occasionally I get rosacea, which is why my cheeks are always rosy red. It's yeah. not blush. It's not rouge. It's not it's rosacea. Yep. Nope, nope. Although that's I'm getting some of that here, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I get eczema. And this is stuff I've dealt with my whole life. So I remember the last time I got a script for eczema was in 2018. And I went to see the doctor, and he goes, "Oh yeah, why don't I just give you like a kilo of the stuff, L- like literally a kilo?" And I get it in fifty gram tubes. So I went to the I went to the pharmacy, and I handed. And she goes, "You want all?" Of, I go, "No, no, no, just give me fifty gram tubes. I I don't need a kilo a right away." What's that's that, absurd.
1: Like Two hundred trips to the.
2: <laughs> well, here's the best part. She goes, "This is going to last you a long time." I go, "Yeah, I know that's the point. I don't need the product every day, but if you give me a kilo of it now." I can't use it you're gonna start
1: selling it on the street people are gonna be like yo man can you give me some of that eczema medicine man
2: (laughs) it's it's an ointment it's greasy and it works it's a it's a really strong steroid and it works like a charm but if if i don't know if you've ever been had the misfortune of ever having to deal with an eczema flare-up it can literally and i get it head to toe so it's like oh yeah yeah, like shingles
1: is it that bad
2: uh well similar it's similar to that yeah. but shingles is only on one side and some people get it head to toe on one side some people get it in a little patch eczema can go over your entire torso under your arm sometimes in the crack of your butt oh yeah now, never never on the never on the boys though <laughs> jimmy and the twins the cra- never get that can I
1: be my impersonation of you just now sometimes in the crack of your butt yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, this is brought to you by Calamine.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely true that it, it can be really, really uncomfortable and unpleasant and it makes life difficult. And it's every now and then I'll be sitting in a pub somewhere having a conversation with the bartender and I, I'm kind of a chatty fella. And uh, somebody will reveal to me, well, I'm like, Oh, it's, it's, it's I'm like, Oh, I have that too. I'm like, Oh, what do you use? And we get into the conversation and go, so one of the medications for rosacea after tetracycline is, was the pill you take twice a day with food, is um, Ivermectin. Shit you not. I shit you not. I have a tube of Ivermectin. I, I'm not kidding. It's at 30 grams. It's a small little tube. And here's the thing. It's $300 for 30 grams, 300 bucks. It wasn't that much pre pandemic. Wow! Back then, it was like I don't know. It was a lot less, and uh, oh, my my drug company, like the, my my uh, benefits package through my employer covered it. So it was like five bucks a prescription. So if I went in and got I got the ivermectin and I got the mometasone and 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 the tetracycline, it was fifteen dollars is all it cost me. Now wow. the, the the benefits package that I have through the private sector company will not com- uh, cover a uh, name brand. They only want, they'll only cover generic. And I'm like, well, here's the problem with that. The- there's no generic version of this product. It does not exist. What
1: is it called? It's not called ivermectin though, right? It's
2: Literally called- ivermectin.
1: Oh, okay. That's what I- it is.
2: There yeah, is. I'll get a- you the tube and show it to you if you want to see it.
1: But there is a generic ivermectin.
2: Uh, not, not in the cream. Oh, and, okay. And, and not for human consumption. It's it's okay. not it, yeah. There's, there's different. There's there's a generic ivermectin for for uh, animals, horses, right? Horse-based. Yeah. Uh, that's not meant for human consumption, or it's not meant as a topical solution for human beings oh. at all. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's meant for horses.
1: Y- yeah, there there's a I think there, there is a human version of the ivermectin, but it's got so little. in Oh yeah, it, it's one
2: percent right? yeah. maximum. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's very very minute, and and it. it You know, you put it on, and one of the side effects it may it may increase the burning effect of rosacea. Um, What? (laughs) No, I I want to decrease that shit. Yeah. (laughs) Tetracycline works wonders, but I mean, you got to take it for like a month, and uh, it's not pleasant. No.
1: Um, Did how did you fare during the pandemic as far as your mental health was concerned?
2: Surprisingly great. Yeah, okay. Surprisingly say, great. Let's,
1: let's put the convoy aside.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, a, about this. aside from that, surprisingly great only, only because on February 28th of 2020, I was at a February 28th or 26th. I can't remember the exact date, but it was right around then because I remember I got the script on February 28th. So maybe it was the 26th. Yes, the 26th of February 2020. I was at a charity fundraising event at the Lone Star Cafe on Saint Laurent Boulevard. And there was a live bunch of live bands, and I met the, a bunch of friends. And I was, I'd been, you know, I've been battling depression for 42 years now. But at that point, I was in really, 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 I'd, I'd hit the lowest point ever, and I didn't know how I was going to carry on. I know I didn't want to harm myself because of the, of, of what that would do to my friends and family, and I was well aware of how much, you know, I have people in my life that love me, so. I thought, how am I gonna? How am I gonna cope? How am I gonna cope? And I was at that thing that night, and a dear friend of mine, who is a physician, she said, uh, Zoloft. She said, Zoloft. It'll make a difference in your life. She says, and if the side effects are too much, you can just quit, and it will. Everything goes right back to normal. So I said, okay, done. The next day, went online and booked an appointment with my doctor for Monday. Went in to see the doctor Monday, and I said, I, I can't. I can't cope anymore. I need to. And he goes, Let's try. We'll start with this. So sure enough, I started that February 28th. And then, you know, the end of March, the whole world shut down. Well, by that point, I was almost near the end of the ramp-up point. And my mother's like, are you okay? Are you okay? My parents, my family, I'm I'm very public about the fact that I have depression and anxiety because I think if I talk about it, it can help somebody else. So my mother called me. She's like, are you okay? I go, mom, I'm fine. I said, my only concern is is money right now because I might be out of a job. I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. That all worked out in the end, obviously, but... Uh The best part was the medication really made me just oh okay, no problem, like right I, I had no I had no uh ill thoughts uh no self harm thoughts, nothing like that. It was like, okay, well, this you know kind of it 's a bummer that i 'm sitting here on the couch watching doom and gloom all over the world, but why don't I start podcasting, and that 's how it all began. <laughs>
1: that's great dude i you know what i i I talk about this all the time so people are probably gonna get sick of me saying this but i feel like the pandemic um exposed who we were to ourselves
2: yes yes you
1: know um and and your and 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 your job during the pandemic especially when we were isolating at home and everything like that i i feel really strongly about this that your job was to figure out who you were at that moment and and either fix it or roll with it depending on how you were and i i said this before it's pretty dark humor but um if i had a button that could save the 8 million people that have died during the pandemic but my career trajectory would go away i don't know if i'd push the button like <laughs>
2: okay that's dark humor but it's funny because i have a weird sense of humor
1: i'm pretty happy with with like (laughs) excuse me i've never been happier in in the sense that i knew what i wanted to do right you know i i I was like i have a shot right now to and everyone had the same shot to to work on the thing that i really wanted to do which was write and to create a podcast Mm -hmm. and those are the things you know two book deals later um and 110 episodes later um you know, here I am, and it's not—it's not like it's financially rewarding.
2: Oh no, 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 no! That's you not know? why we do it, though. That's not, not why we do it. I,
1: I care so much about content. You know, Matt mm-hmm. Cundle, um, You know, he was—he was—he took me under his wing for a day. He's there a genius, was like, by the way. Yeah, he's so good, and he was teaching me like you know uh, the ins and outs of the software that posts it to to all of your mm-hmm. portals and stuff. Um, what's it called? Uh, the CM one, uh, megaphone right? Oh, yes. Teach, think, yeah, yeah, he's teaching me megaphone. And, uh, and he kept on telling me to like to put five ads in my podcast.
2: Mm-hmm. And, That's a uh, minimum five.
1: I, I I still to this day put three. I, I started a, doing five. Yeah, you know, I just, and it wasn't because I disagree with him, because I know he's probably right. Mm-hmm. I just care so much about the content that I thought if I started, because I have the I have an OCD brain. Okay, if I, I, I have an I'm an addict, I you know, like you put if there was a line of coke in front of me right now, I would probably do it. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't seek out the coke, I wouldn't buy the coke. But if it was sitting, if someone just went here, take that bump, I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I get and it. I I, and I that. wouldn't, and it wouldn't lead to a downward spiral or anything like that. It's just, I, you know, whatever. And and the idea that, um, you know, that the, the the way the pandemic made me like obsess over for the first time in my life positive things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and healthy things i never experienced that before and that's why i i I, like you um who who managed uh to get sick before the pandemic and then you've been sort of fine ever since i curbed drinking um three months or so before the pandemic started without knowing there was going to be a pandemic and then i was just like oh this is great it just felt like i you know i had okay don't blow it this time dummy that was pretty much what was in my head (laughs) The whole thing.
2: I remember reading, I remember you wrote an article about that and I read it. It was very well written, by the way. I really enjoyed it because I thought I, there's there's certain elements of that I can certainly identify with. Now, when when I went on the medication, one of the things my doctor said was, as you're ramping up, it's going to take six to eight weeks, no alcohol. I went, okay. He goes, really? And I go, yeah, I'm not a slave to it. I like beer. I like wine. I like whiskey. But if they're like, well, you can't ever have it again because if you do, it'll kill you. I'm like, Okay. I'm not, I'm not a slave to it. I never have been. I don't, I have a OCD and I have ADHD, but I don't have an addictive personality. If somebody says you shouldn't do that anymore and it's harmful. Okay. I used to drink uh-huh. double, double and I used to drink four of them a day. Now I have two cups of coffee in the morning, black. You know why? Because it's an alkaline, black organic coffee is an alkaline. Whereas a double, double is acidic and it creates a toxic environment within your, your system. So I'm like, okay, no problem. I literally went overnight from double double to black coffee the next day. Oh, interesting. Well, it was just a decision. It was like it, it's real easy. It's like if I don't do this, harm will come come upon me, and I don't. I don't want that. I want. I'd like. You know. I'd like to live a healthy lifestyle as as much as one can when you're allergic to a million things and yeah. you have an incredibly restrictive diet. So you know.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's so interesting and ironic that uh, being able to discover all these positive things during what was one of the worst crisis crises of our of our existence really oh yeah
2: period yeah you know
1: this it, it, i guess in uh since the turn of the millennium it would be what nine eleven, the financial crisis and and covid right those are the three pretty much so yeah far? the three
2: biggest ones yeah
1: i wonder yeah. where um where we're heading
2: <laughs> i don't know but i'm hoping for the roaring 20s any minute now man i want to see a booming economy and money but, falling you know, out of my pockets without the racism <laughs> it was oh shit yeah, no, shoot. yeah. yeah. And here's the thing. I joke when I say money falling out of my pockets. I just want to join the middle class. I don't want to be rich. I don't need to be rich. I just want to have enough money so that, you know, when I go to the pub on Fridays with my buds, I don't have to double think about, oh, wait a minute, I need to buy groceries in the next two days and the budget. I don't want to have to worry about that. And that's it.
1: The, I, I know exactly what you mean, the, the stability and security of just being able to pay your bills and go to a movie once in a while, you know, or yeah. whatever.
2: And, and, and I've really scaled my life back in the last couple of years. You know, I take, if I can afford to, I will take a trip and go to another part of the world. But when I do it, I'm finding the cheapest flight. I'm using points. I'm traveling sure. to a part of the world where I'm staying with a friend i can't afford to spend a, a you know two weeks in a hotel in geneva if my friend didn't have a, a a condo there i couldn't afford geneva but what i'll do is i'll fly to paris and take the train to geneva because the flight to paris might be four to f- four to five hundred dollars maybe some points and then i take a train for hundred bucks yeah it's they're right now they're seven seven and change but you can get them from wow. montreal to paris for 500 if you keep looking
1: wow that's, that's kind of crazy yeah, yeah, and
2: then take the train or an easy jet, and, and it's the train's like a hundred bucks, and you can take the train literally from Charles de Gaulle. You just walk the the Air Canada terminal, you walk maybe five hundred meters, you go down, you get on the train, it takes you right to uh, it takes you to uh, one more city, you change trains, and then it takes you right to Geneva. I've done it a few times.
1: I would love to go to Paris. I I, I went to London uh, on business once, and um, business I I, I was <laughs> okay. Maybe I should stop lying. <laughs> I got fired from the Huffington post, but pretended I was still working for the Huffington post when I was <laughs> approached by a tobacco company to fly me to Southampton nice. and, and look at their vaping facility. And the whole time I'm there, I'm just like, I'm going to get caught any second now. They're going to call an editor. Of, <laughs> at Huffington post. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I, I'd always want to go to Paris because London left a bad taste in my mouth a little bit because I was staying in Westminster, and then for the mm-hmm. following week, I stayed in East London. East London, dope. Mm. Westminster, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got hustled in the richest fucking city in Europe. <laughs> I got yeah, totally I hustled. I can I, believe it. At a barber shop of all places. I wanted to get, like, a shave. You know mm-hmm. like i wanted, i had a little bit of a beard i just wanted to look clean i want and i heard that they shaved heads and stuff so i was like oh fuck, let's do it and then all of a sudden this guy in a really thick british accent is like hey, do you want it? and i was like what and then all of a sudden three more guys came out gave me quick rub downs fluttered their towel boom an extra 100 pounds i'm like what are you talking and
2: about <laughs> at a time when a 100 pounds was a hell of a lot more than it is today
1: that was 2018 yeah
2: oh god yes yeah. so it was like 300 bucks at the time close to uh, 280. So yeah. I never
1: want to go back to Westminster. But yeah. dude, is it called Brick Lane in London?
2: Not been there.
1: It's, it's Indian. It's just like the one strip of just all the most glorious Indian food places you have. I went there and I spent like 200 pounds on like four different Indian dishes in four Holy different restaurants shit, to just take it all home and got fatter. You know?
2: Well, I have, I have friends who live in London and they're like, uh, it's so, they're my buddy's cousin. And there's a six degrees of separation without getting too detailed here. His sister, so my buddy in London, his sister uh, used to play bass for Prince. Why do not. Yeah, she played bass for Prince for years. She was part of the new power generation. She's one of the most respected bass players in the world. I'm not lying. Dead, uh, no, dead serious. No, no, no. You you have yeah. a
1: really cool um, knowledge of music. I really, I, you know, one of the one of the great. Uh, like we we've never met in person, but um, if, if I think of you, immediately the first thing that comes to mind is that you knew who Eternia was. That oh yeah, made I love me her. so happy,
2: you dude. Know? She's she's so she's such a rock star. The yeah. first time I heard her, I was like, holy shit. Like she yeah. spits like, I don't think there's anybody in the game that does what she does. I, I'm And I sincerely mean that. The, yeah. She, she's a rock star. Like, and, and she's some of her stuff. I would go, you know what? That's borderline heavy metal. I know it's rap. <laughs> I know it's hip hop, but it hits like metal.
1: Yeah, it does. She is. And, and she, she had the respect of her peers Oh yeah that were who were all male mm-hmm. right, and who were like um at the time, especially like in the nineties when she was like starting out and doing her thing, there was a uh a certain vibe to her that that guys were like um stopping themselves they eventually they would have to stop themselves from going, um, you know she's good for a female because yeah, yeah. they they, they threw out that out. she was yeah, she was just just good, just good, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. now I just want to play something really quickly just because cool. you mentioned her. Yeah. Uh... Am I okay?
0: Am I okay? <laughs> no, I'm not okay. What? up with this track in my head, I got the itch again, I missed the bus cause I was bumping this, I won't pretend, been through a couple of my non-lives since we last met, his hope and Cole and Kendrick understand, I got a vent, I got a pen, I got a head full of convoluted cloudy days, let it rain, let it sting the conscience of those who went on inflicting pain, then pretended they were not to blame, see, I can name names, but that'd be acting cowardly, that's not my lane, me, I am not the victim, see you know what's
1: funny when i had her on the show um we were watching this video before the show and i think actually we did it on air too Mm -hmm. it's possible because she filmed this in my neighborhood when i lived there oh yeah that i'm in the background stumbling home from a rave after party Coming up, you'll see it in the background when she turns the corner. <laughs> okay.
2: <a>
0: <laughs> Guilty when I don't have grateful energy, oh lord. I'm supposed to feel your love and feel fulfilled in theory. But this hamster wheel has got me trapped and I'm sincerely weary of it all.
1: Insert so dramatic
0: Words don't move me, they used to. Now all I hear is a God. Don't let them get to me, please. I feel the war in my spirit.
1: Okay, do you see that guy? On the is left, that you? Uh, the left side there. Yeah, he's about to dance a little bit. Yeah. We think there's like a forty percent chance that that's me. <laughs> because <laughs> this I was is like, in Whitby. No, this is in Kensington Market in Toronto. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I was like, what time did you film this? Because I was like, there's no one there, <laughs> and if it looks like a Sunday, like at five a.m., she's like, that's exactly when it was, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. And then and then so when you see this person and, and like we, we 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 like blew it up. Like that looks like it could be me, because the guy's got no hair, right?
0: <laughs> I feel the devil whispering and your retreat sweet. Yeah, Nothing's yeah, like, in not- my ear I'm open. Then I go out and take the option that is self- so- she's,
1: so, she's so dope. I have a really hard time remembering that it's probably disrespectful to call Eternia hot. But as a rapper as a rapper, I, I have like if I if I were to you remember Weird Science? Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wouldn't yep. invent Kelly, Kelly LeBron Brock.
1: I probably invent Eternia because I would love to just be with someone that could rhyme their fucking asses.
2: <laughs> you know? Man, she, she has a gift. It's a gift. It's a skill. It is a skill, but there's a gift to it too. Because oh, yeah. a skill is something you can train and become better at, but you also have to have that little pinch of gift mm-hmm. to be that good. Because she is so good. She like it. it it's astonishing to me that she's not. Um, like literally the biggest female rapper on earth or to hell with that the, f- the biggest rapper on earth
1: well she's she had the unfortunate um, circumstance of being born and raised in Canada
2: yeah well she's from Ottawa originally right
1: yeah and um, speaking of Ottawa like when your biggest hip-hop A&R guy Ivan Barry when the only hip-hop act that he signed one year was Tom Green you know yeah. you got a problem
2: check the OR do you know it so far <laughs> Do you like it, you so, like far? it so far? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I I've met Tom a few times.
1: Than mother Goose. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that.
2: But I, I'll give I'll give Tom respect in the sense that he does uh, love and appreciate hip hop and rap. He does. Yeah. He's he's he was a trailblazer. Oh yeah.
1: He, he, he actually like, uh, he's not very good now. And and, and he, he 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 did this rhyme thing on Twitter, and uh, and it made me think to myself uh, two things. One is that he he's out of practice. But the second thing is that. I don't care because I respect Tom Green so much
2: mm-hmm, because mm-hmm.
1: of all the things that he did before anybody else did them.
2: Before anyone, yeah. before anyone, like Jackass uh, yeah. uh, um, uh, has said, you "No, know, you're you're the guy who inspired us." Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I um, mean, the things like he, when he think. had himself duct taped to a telephone pole outside of Much Music in downtown Toronto to profess his love for Monica Diol. Oh my God! Do you remember that? Yeah, okay. That was when he had his Cable 22 show. And, and it was the, the one episode, the funniest one to me ever. That, that people will go on about it. It was this one. It was this. To me, the funniest one ever was they show him sitting on a park bench beside the Rideau Canal in full hockey gear, skates the whole bit, in July. <laughs> and he has a puck in his hand, and he throws it into the canal and then jumps over. And there's <laughs> an old couple sitting beside him, and they were just... And I was just about pissing myself because it was so funny.
1: Oh, that's, that's hilarious. When he, <coughs> did you see when he spray painted the pornographic picture on his mom's hood of this car?
2: Yeah, yeah, that was his dad's car. Oh, oh.
1: but he also invented podcasting. I don't he think did. people understand that.
2: He did. He completely yeah. invented it before anybody else,
1: before anyone. Um, we just got uh, word that there are people waiting to, uh, to use oh. this software. Paul well, I could honestly I could talk to you for another 2 hours really like I'd love I, to do that yeah let's yeah, let's do this should, again man Yeah let's definitely do this again I think uh I'm trying to do this thing now where I have regulars you know like uh, start people out monthly and like whatever but um maybe in a couple weeks or whatever but I definitely want to have you back on I feel like we could talk about any subject and be oh hell yeah oh, yeah, hell, yeah um that's Paul Atkinson from the true north eager beaver podcast and beaver bites is that a separate show altogether well
2: it's or part that- of the true north eager beaver I have the whole okay. music thing on on uh, I have the jazz show and the pop music show I have a pop music show on mixed cloud and I have the jazz show which is available on Spotify it's called songs and stories supplemental jazz edition on Spotify and the songs and Stories volumetric series on mixcloud so you also have one of the greatest voices in- <laughs> actually i can't even do an impersonation of it guys <laughs> well thank you very much no problem <laughs>
1: all right buddy um paul atkinson everybody thanks man for joining us i appreciate it
2: hey it was a blast thanks man really all had right, a good buddy. time
1: thanks paul atkinson um okay i uh, i have some news um first of all thank you to paul um i i mean it i could talk to that dude for, for hours. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation because I kind of forgot that the audience was there because I was so into just a really relaxed yet informative conversation. He's a fascinating guy. Um, Now, the news. Okay, so tomorrow I have a black belt doubleheader. At 7 o'clock, I got Michael Geist. We're going to talk about Bill C-11. And then at 10.30, I have John Spencer, who's returning back to the show to give us an update on the war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, the reason why John Spencer is coming on the show is because he's the world's most foremost expert in urban warfare and the methods that he created are actually being used by the Ukrainian the, the Ukrainian military force responsible for training their civilian force. So that's how much respect he has, that's how much pull he has, like Zelensky knows who he is, that kind of thing. So he's on at 10:30. But on Friday, this I just booked today. I'm pretty excited about this. I guess Netflix is premiering the Dahmer documentary in the States uh, on, on Friday. We, if you're in Canada, you've probably already seen it. Um, But I think, I think I have my facts, right? That it will be premiering in the States on February uh, on, uh, on October 7th. On October 7th, I will have Ann Schwartz on the show. Ann Schwartz is the reporter who first broke the Jeffrey Dahmer story she is also a uh, a writer who wrote um monster the true story of jeffrey dahmer murders i am super excited to have her on it's very timely everything about it uh, i like and that will be seven o'clock on friday so once again my thanks to paul atkinson right now i am trying to find my outro music so that we can go i always do this i always end up like looking for stuff while i'm trying to get the fuck out of dodge and i'm looking in the wrong folder and so you're now listening to the bullshit antics of a guy who can't find his outro and i found it um so yeah so michael guys tomorrow at seven john spencer tomorrow at 10 30 and schwartz friday at seven o'clock uh, who once again is the reporter that broke the jeffrey Dahmer story so it's a pretty big uh lineup coming up Thanks again to Paul Atkinson, and we will see you next time on Blackball. Thanks, everybody. Blackball.
0: Black, black, blackball. Black, black, blackball. Black, black, blackball. Black, 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 blackball. Black, black, blackball. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.